Welcome to Everyday Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Cynthia Thurlow. This podcast is designed to educate, empower, and inspire you to achieve your health and wellness goals. My goal and intent is to provide you with the best content and conversations from leaders in the health and wellness industry each week and impact over a million lives. Today is a wonderful repeat podcast guest, Dr. Roseanne Kapana-Hodge. She last joined me on episode 174. She is an incredible pediatric mental health expert and utilizes a great deal of traditional and non-traditional modalities in her patient population. She joined me today to talk about the role of myo-inositol from a mood and mental health perspective. We spoke at great length about what myonositol does in the body, what depletes it, the contributors of the vagus nerve, mental health benefits from myonositol, how it impacts mood disorders, including obsessive compulsive disorder, stress and anxiety, panic attacks, depression, and specifically eating disorders and binge eating. We talked about her unique ways of calming the autonomic nervous system and brain inflammation. We spoke at great length about the current medical model and limitations there and the impact of trauma. I hope you will enjoy this conversation as much as I did recording it. Hi, Roseanne. It's so good to have you back on Everyday Wellness. I'm so excited for this conversation about mental health and how inositol supports so many mental health conditions. I know something you and I talk about all the time, and this is going to be so helpful for so many people that are struggling. Absolutely. And I think for so many people, I've been so transparent and I've said, I know a lot about myo-inositol, but when it comes to the mental health, the brain health, et cetera, this is not my area of expertise. And you were the first person I thought of to bring on as an expert, as a clinician, to be able to speak to these unique qualities of myo-inositol. And so for benefits of listeners, we're going to do a brief little recap on what myonositol is. It's actually a constituent of the phospholipid layer of the cell membrane. It helps to mediate communication with, between cells in response to hormones, you know, things that are recognizable and for cell growth. It's also abundant in the brain and nerve tissue, and it's tied to some key neurotransmitters like dopamine, serotonin, and how well they are utilized. It also helps to regulate specific hormones, thyroid secreting hormone or TSH, FSH, follicular stimulating hormone, which is communication between our brains and our ovaries, as well as insulin and glucose. The other thing that's really interesting is that our bodies can actually make some degree of inositol. And in addition to that, we can get some from our diets, but most of us aren't eating enough of the foods that incorporate these into our lifestyles. And there's really solid research on metabolic disorders, uh, PCOS, insulin resistance, infertility, and mood disorders. And so when I did my previous podcast with uh, Scott Emmons from MD Logic, I kept alluding to the fact I would have this conversation with Dr. Rowe. And so Dr. Rowe is joining us today to be able to speak on behalf of a clinical perspective Now, Dr. Rowe, I would imagine with our modern day lifestyles, there's a lot about how we interact with our environment that can actually deplete myo-inositol. And for you, do you see low magnesium being an issue for a lot of your patients? So you're a clinical psychologist. You work with a variety of children and men and women. Do you find that magnesium or low magnesium can actually exacerbate our need for myo-inositol? Yeah. So, and please know myo-inositol and inositol are used interchangeably and it's the same thing. So I don't want to confuse anybody. I'm so used to always talking about inositol. So bear with me, but first magnesium, the most used nutrient in the body is just most commonly depleted in basically every single individual I see. So a lot of time I work with families and they bring it, you know, a young adult, a teenager, a child to me. And that is the identified person who's really struggling. It could be anxiety or depression or OCD, whatever it is. And through testing, we often find that they have low magnesium. But then when we go to mama and papa, the whole family is low in magnesium because of stress. I was just talking about this with my husband today because he was like, 
how many, you know, I'm working on a magnesium product and he's like, how many magnesiums are are you, you know, going to be selling to people? And I'm like, the whole family needs it. I was like, you take it and our entire family of four takes it because we need it. And there's a connection to this very important nutrient and inositol for brain health. And we step out more specifically, these nutrients tend to be low in individuals with myonositol in particular with anxiety, OCD, depression, bipolar, panic attacks, agoraphobia, eating disorders. And I'm putting PCOS in there because PCS tends to be a root cause of some of these other things. And, you know, it's important to make that connection between, you know, low anositol levels, which they say are rare, but I don't believe that because I, we know through research when you actually supplement with myonositol and magnesium, these conditions, the symptoms improve. And I think it's so important to understand this interrelationship with our environment, the foods we're consuming, et cetera, and the net impact on low magnesium exacerbating this need for inositol. And it's interesting when I was looking at the research, magnesium is actually required for biosynthesis of inositol. In the same vein, when we talk about what depletes inositol stores in the body, it's our hyper-processed, hyper-palatable nutrition, it's low salt intake. And it's not, you know, when we talk about low salt intake, we know sodium is very important for a lot of physiologic processes, but these low sodium diets, I mean, how many times did I tell my patients in cardiology that it was important that they consume these nearly impalatable diets with no salt, no fat, Mm -hmm. encourage them to eat cardboard essentially, and that they're supposed to be satiated, but also insulin resistance plays a role. We know that the aging process, just even antibiotics. So we know that antibiotics have a huge net impact on the body. And as someone who, you know, was recently on antibiotics because I picked up salmonella during travel, when I came home being very symptomatic, there's a lot that you have to do to kind of counteract being on antibiotics. And and by no means am I saying that there's not a place for antibiotics, but understanding that this in and of itself can also create these imbalances. And then caffeine use, how many of us are addicted to caffeine and we consume way too much of it. That also can deplete the inositol levels in our bodies as well. Yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, we started this conversation about magnesium and you talked about this. So magnesium is the most used nutrient because over 300 processes require it as a cofactor. So it's the helper, right? And when magnesium is so low for so many people because of stress and these things that you're talking about, and, you know, you can get an antibiotic you know, script for just about anything. It's actually shocking how easily they want to hand it out when you go to the doctor. And, you know, I recently had pneumonia and I was like, do I really have to take an antibiotic? And I'm going to try the herbals. And then finally I was like, I don't got time for this. I've had RSV. (laughs) I've got to do it, you know? And I said, just give me the lowest amount, the shortest dose, and I'm going to use my herbals. And that's what I did. But you do have to protect yourself for the depletion of the microbiome and everything is connected. I mean, I think this conversation, I love to get into the weeds of thing, but ultimately in the end, every little thing that you do can be a helper or a herder. And you, sh- there are times just like Dr. Rowe had to get on f- some antibiotics. And yes, my pneumonia went away and I caught it like really early because I know myself and I know my body and I, but I then purposely countered, you know, and making sure that I had extra nutrients and of course, probiotics at the right time away from my antibiotics to repair my body. And when we talk about low levels of inositol, you know, we may not understand some of these symptoms that we see because they're sort of vague And they can be attributed to a lot of things. So like fatigue, you know, having some mood issues, constipation, muscle weakness or numbness, right? Certainly numbness is going to stand out because that's not really a typical thing that you would see. But fatigue and mood, hello, you know, 
we're talking mostly to women here. This is like we're in the hormone changing times and it's really easy to struggle with those things at different points. And as I always say, if something is sticking around and it's not a temporary like, oh, I'm tired this week because I decided to do X, Y and Z or travel, you need to not ignore that. Well, I think listening to our bodies is certainly really important and in many ways For those of us that are traditionally allopathic trained, we weren't trained to look at things like that. It was more symptomatology, not root cause. You kind of alluded to what can transpire when we take antibiotics and how it disrupts the gut microbiome and how taking, you know, probiotics away from antibiotics can be helpful. But what is it that's unique about the gut microbiome that impacts our mood? I think this is a key kind of big concept to take away. Yeah. And, you know, you and I have talked about this before on our podcast and we have a blog on this, but it is so important. So, you know, there is a connection between our gut and our brain and the vagus nerve is that connection. But I don't think people really understand. They see the Activia commercial, Cynthia, about the gut and how you need to do some probiotics. And you know what? People are doing the best they can. There's lots of ways. But why is that important? So number one, their neurotransmitters are created not just in the brain, but in the gut. And there's one very important neurotransmitter related to mood and attention and stress, and it's called serotonin. And it's almost exclusively created in our gut. And our gut can get disrupted by antibiotics, high stress levels, hormones. I mean, there's just a lot of things. And we do always have to counter, right? We're like, you're like, Dr. Rome, you're telling me to do a million things. No, we have to try to do the simplest things and live as clean of a lifestyle and moderate our stress. And as my dad would say, this is easy with the mouth, Roseanne. That's what Tony would say. But this is what we're we're doing here. This is what I do. This is what Cynthia does. And if you're listening, you want to do this too. That's why you're listening. And the payoff is huge. You feel better. Your energy's better. Your skin looks better. You know, all these great things. And you're role modeling for your children. And I think that's super important. So the gut has to be protected and it has to be nurtured and that connection, right? So these neurotransmitters and our vagus nerve, right, is that bi-directional pathway to the brain. So the brain influences the gut, the gut influences the brain, and there's a lot of positive things we can do to influence that by what we eat, having supplements, as well as moderating our stress are the three top things that you can really do to help keep your neurotransmitters in balance. It's not just psychiatric medication. I think that's what's so shocking to people. And please know your physician, your GP, they're doing the best they can. And we've gotten ourselves into this place where you go in and you're like, I'm feeling cranky, I'm this. They only know to write a script They are not trained mental health people. They're not trained functional doctors. Unless you're going to a functional provider or a trained functional mental health provider, they're not going to look for root causes, as Cynthia said. And there's so much power in your own ability to control your mental health and your health. It's unbelievable. I think when parents come to me and families come to me, they're in shock. Right. Cynthia and I were just talking. I'm working with a little guy who um, is losing his autism diagnosis in a matter of months. Okay, And it's because they move to a clean lifestyle. They're regulating his nervous system. And I believe he's going to fully lose his autism diagnosis as a young child that's under five years old. How amazing is that? Right. Like amazing. And they did it. I showed them what to do and they did it. They got the power, as I always like to say. And you can hear the 90s song. If I could sing, (laughs) it would be going on. But how you support your systems is incredibly powerful in all of these clinical issues. And, you know, Cynthia, our biggest issues that we're seeing with people today is anxiety and depression. I mean, those are our top issues, but I'm seeing a dramatic increase in OCD, panic attacks, more extreme things that really kind of shut down lives. And they don't happen overnight and they're not fixed overnight. But again, people have this control outside of psychiatric medication that's evidence-based. 
you find yourself struggling to get a good night's sleep? If so, you may be dealing with a hidden mineral deficiency. It is not at all uncommon in perimenopause and menopause to deal with sleep challenges. And we know that one of many contributory reasons for poor sleep can be a reduction in specific minerals that help regulate sleep quality, including magnesium, which is involved in GABA, which is our body's main calming neurotransmitter. We also know that we need potassium to create melatonin. And this is a hormone that is a master antioxidant, but is also utilized to help induce sleep We also think about things like zinc, which can balance excitatory neurotransmitters like glutamate. And if it's overactive, meaning if your glutamate levels are too high, it can prevent your brain from becoming more relaxed and inducing sleep. And lastly, selenium increases both our deep sleep and sleep duration. All these minerals matter a lot for sleep and any imbalances or deficits can have a major impact on the quality of sleep you get each night. And that's why I love Beam Minerals. They offer a full spectrum mineral supplement that gives you every essential mineral your body needs in the right doses, all in a highly absorbable liquid form. All you do is take a shot of bean minerals about an hour before bed. Don't worry, it tastes like water. And you'll replenish all of your body's minerals in about 30 seconds and give your brain what it needs for deep restorative sleep. I've been using this product over the last several months. I've really been impressed with the improvement in my sleep metrics, which I like to share on social media with my followers. And if you want a simple way to improve your sleep, head over to www.beaminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. That's www.beaminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. Weight gain is one of many symptoms that our hormones are in decline, especially as we navigate perimenopause into menopause. Dr. Anna, who is a great friend of mine, is an OBGYN who's treated thousands of women just like you and I who experience increasing dryness and even pain in the bedroom as they get older. Jolva is the solution Dr. Anna formulated for her own clients, and it has since been loved by over 100,000 women. It's a feminine cream with DHEA that helps the body regenerate moisture from the inside out. 92.8% of Jolva users experienced a significant improvement in the first four to eight weeks. Get 10% off your first purchase of Jolva by using the link dranna.com slash Cynthia. That's dranna.com Cynthia and get 10% off your first purchase. Do you think that the increases in obsessive compulsive and anxiety and depression that you're seeing, do you think that's a direct relationship from the past three years, you know, living through the pandemic, being separated from our loved ones, wearing masks? I mean, I think about, uh, and my heart really goes out to parents with younger children in particular, because it's, I have all boys. I can't even imagine trying to have kept a mask on a young child. And then they're losing the ability to look at facial expressions. And so they're just at a time where there's massive developmental, you know, acceleration. And I would imagine as caregivers and parents for so many people, just not being able to live their lives the way that they had been could contribute to a lot of mental health issues. Yeah. So the answer is yes. Has the pandemic thrown fuel on the fire? Yes, but the fire was already burning. And, you know, before the pandemic, we were seeing big increases in all age levels of mental health problems. There was a doubling of suicide rates that happened in 10 to 19 year olds right before the pandemic. I mean, it's just terrible, right? And we're, we're during the pandemic, we saw uh, 70% of parents were reporting high levels of parenting stress, no surprise. But we also saw psychiatric medication with adults go from one in six to one in four. So one quarter of people are on psych meds. And, you know, Cynthia, people come to me all the time and they're like, you know, I get it. I'm an Italian mother. You're Italian mother too. We put our kids before ourselves. So they come to me and they're like, we're going to do this for our kid and we're going to see. But I want you to know I'm on Prozac. I mean, true story happens every week. And I'm like, that's okay, but I'm going to challenge you because you're going to have to take care of yourself in order to create mental wellness today, but for all future generations. And, you know, we get stuck in ways of doing things, but 
the level of stress for children and parents and all adults in this culture, in American culture in particular, but mental health problems across the globe are rising. Definitely the social isolation, the mask wearing, the fear, all just really, really. Today, still, I get uh, somebody every week who feels that they either didn't have a problem or they had a low level problem that just completely spiraled out of control due to the pandemic and the isolation that they felt. Well, I feel so grateful that there are healthcare professionals like yourself that are, you know, really on the ground helping people move forward with their lives and families because that's really what it's all about, you know, as a parent, I think anyone who's listening, our children are our Achilles heel. I mean, if they're suffering, we're suffering. If they're having trouble with something, we are having trouble with something. And so I'm so very grateful that you and and other professionals that are out there are able to provide the support that so many families need and deserve. And it's really all about education, empowerment, so that people can, you know, feel like they have some degree of control because there's nothing worse than feeling like you have no control going on. And that is actually the number one contributor to feeling hopeless is a sense of feeling out of control. And I think both of our work is all about teaching people that they do have control. I think for me, you know, a lot of times people get to me there, it's a layered complex mental health problem. And we know through research that 50% of people who know they have a mental health problem don't actually get help. 50%. I mean, that's just, unacceptable. Right. And, you know, why does that happen? I think people get caught in patterns. Right. And they also have tried a lot and maybe it didn't work. And sometimes people try natural solutions and it didn't work. Right. And there's lots of reasons why, because it could be that it wasn't done in the right order. Right. So, you know, you're I deal with a lot of people with obsessive compulsive disorder. And just to understand what OCD is, it's intrusive thoughts that have rituals and around it. And many people confuse OCD with anxiety. Anxiety is a persistent worry. There's no rituals around it. But with OCD, those rituals have to occur more than an hour a day. And they it can be unbelievably uncomfortable for people. You know, people talk about OCD like it's this great thing, like I'm a little OCD because I'm so organized. No, that's not what OCD is, peeps. But, you know, you can't separate out the clinical work, the behavioral work. But, and that's why sometimes people say, well, I tried magnesium. I tried inositol. I tried creatine. These are the things that didn't work for me. You have to use these resources as a way to calm and regulate your nervous system and brain. But then you have to actually change your behavior. They give you the wiggle room, right? So when we talk about the research with myanositol and acetol, particularly with depression, right? So there's great research studies like double-blind studies, meta-analyses. These are some good studies and meta-analyses for people that are, uh, Cynthia and I are research nerds, but it's, you know, where they take a look at more than one study, several studies, and it's peer reviewed and they analyze the data. It's considered kind of like the highest level of research. What is cool about inositol in these studies is that there are some studies that show that the changes are lasting and there's no relapse. And in a lot of these studies, they used it with therapy, right? So if you're anxious and you take myanositol and your anxiety goes down, right? Awesome. But what little micro changes are you going to bring in your life, right? Are you going to hang out and talk to your sister every day who's so negative that makes you feel panicked every time you talk to her, right? Or are you going to say, I'm going to limit it and be like, hey, Catherine, I love you. But let's start every conversation with I'm grateful for. And let's see if she can do it. If not, make those conversations under two minutes. (laughs) For your own mental health benefit. For your own mental health. But I think, you know, so many, I use the analogy in our brain behavior reset program of the summit. Everybody wants to just jump right to that summit, but you have to go to the base camps. And the magic 
in mental health is in the micro changes, right? And Cynthia and I are always talking about mental health from our own personal journeys, right? And it's those little changes that really like, wow, create such dramatic positive feelings of well-being. And these tools can just be such a beautiful dovetail, right? The inositol lowering the stress levels, but then actually creating, cultivating change and being consistent about it. Nobody wants to be consistent. Like, you know, when you think about intermittent fasting, people say, do I have to do it every day? Yes. I think so much of it is human nature that we, it's hard to be patient. We mm-hmm. want to wave a magic wand and we want things to be better. Girl. I know when I was writing, you know, 30, 40, 50 prescriptions every day, I had patients that would look at me and they would say, I'm not going to change my diet. I'm not going to stop smoking. I'm not going to start exercising. I'm not going to go to bed earlier. So just write me the prescription. So we, in many ways, conditioned our patients to believe that the pill is going to be the way to get rid of whatever the symptom is, right? Yeah. So what both you and I are speaking from is that it's far more nuanced and complicated than that. Totally. There is a degree of lifestyle changes that are going to be important in order to be able to successfully move beyond where you are. And one of the things I love about your work is also that you're very research-based. And so we kind of started the conversation initially talking about obsessive compulsive disorder and really understanding what that manifests of. And I'm just as guilty of saying over the years, you know, I was a, an ER nurse. We had a lot of, this is back when we did, you know, we had paper charts before electronic medical records were a thing, but we were expected to document a certain way. Same thing as a nurse practitioner, but done in electronic medical record, very detail oriented. Being detail oriented is not the same as being OCD. No. And, and Cynthia, you know, you know, but like we all, who hasn't said that, right? right? Exactly. Do you know what I mean? So it's just that I want people to know it's like, it is a very serious clinical condition. And until I changed my work and how I was treating people with the psychotherapy using exposure and response prevention, I just wasn't getting the same results just doing PEMF and neurofeedback and supplements. It's, it's behavioral. And, and, you know, it's scary to change your behaviors. Like it's scary, like as an adult, you know, whenever I've changed my behaviors, which I'm always doing evolutionary, you know, work, people shake out from you, you know, like (laughs) you, you have to sit there. I always talking about high vibrational levels and the more you move up, you know, people are either going to come with you and join you or they're going to leave. And the leaving doesn't have to be a bad thing, but but the idea of changing what you're doing when something feels really hard because you're depressed or anxious, of course it's going to feel hard. But I always challenge people to say it's about shifting. It's about shifting your efforts. Instead of working so hard, you are working smarter. You just have to give up the idea that there is the magic wand. And I always say you are the magic wand. It just means you have to make the little changes. And and they're not, especially when you really try to get away from the negativity bias, Cynthia, I find that to be the biggest blocker of mental health, whether it's the individual for themselves and absolutely hundred percent, it is the number one blocker of parents. They are like, well, you know, I'm coming to you, Dr. Rowe. And we've tried the six, you know, ADD meds and we did this and we did that. And I have no other choice, but I've got to come here. And I'm like, okay, well you do have another choice, but guess what? We're only using evidence-based approaches and we have to start with you and you have to start seeing positive, speaking positively because your brain is only going to believe what you tell it. So the moment you start being negative, which again, I didn't say this, but our brain is wired to see negative from evolutionary caveman processes. We see a negative in one quarter of a second and a positive in 20 seconds. So you got to work harder. And that is if you're a glass half empty, that's okay. Cause you could be a glass half full, right? It just is a little bit of a shift. And I encourage people to do it. It's quite dramatic when you really start implementing those little things, like no ifs when, right? Whenever I say I'm trying, my husband always says, oh, I don't think Yoda would say that. Yoda would say, <laughs> there's only do. <laughs> 
Yes. True story. The Hodges love the Star Wars. But I think those are the important things that when we really want to take hold of our mental health and, and if you're feeling really overwhelmed, it's just be there, be present in the day and start with that one thing and lean into that one tiny thing. Like just need one tiny little thing to open up the door and shift your mental health. You really do. I think that's so important. The concept of the reframe. And, and I think for all of us, we have moments where maybe we're just having a bad day. We're tired. I know when I'm tired, I'm much less likely to be in that positive mindset, but it's important to talk about the fact that what wires together fires together. And so if you have negative intrusive thoughts and you're struggling to kind of reframe or, or find, you know, kind of a positive way of looking at something, everything is a lesson as opposed to saying something's been done to me. No, actually, you know, this has been a lesson that I'm going to then use to be able to move forward in my life. I think giving yourself grace is certainly very important. We're all a work in progress. Yeah. No, I know for you and your work, because it is so kind of multi-purposeful, it's not just medications, it's all these lifestyle pieces. And you've kind of alluded to some of this and, and obviously selfishly, I'm, I'm directing the conversation because you're such a wealth of information when a family comes to you and let's say they have a young adult or a teenager that is struggling with. OCD or anxiety or depression as a starting point, obviously you don't start per se, like right out of the gates, unless someone is not stable, meaning they have to be hospitalized because there's something very acutely going on, but in a, someone in an outpatient environment who's stable, but kind of struggling, what are some of the things that you're talking about? You know, you mentioned base camp. I would imagine base camp incorporates some pretty simple things as a starting point. Yeah. And what are those? Like, what are the things that you're starting with in your Yeah. Practice? So number one, I mean, the base of my work is calming the brain. So if the brain is dysregulated, it's just so much harder to think pay attention and take action. We know this, this is evolutionary. And I'm seeing so many brains on fire. And, and so for everybody who knows my work and or doesn't know my work, I should say, is I often do what's called a QEG brain map, or if people can't fly in or drive to me, then I do something called the brain check. It's statistically looking at brainwave activity. And you can see what's overactive and underactive in the exact regions, as well as brain communication. It's the shizzle. I love it. It's great. Anybody's ever done it is like thinks I'm doing a tea leaf psychic reading. And it's because we know exactly what the brain does. So brains are dysregulated. They're on fire. I mean, you cannot live in a stress activated state. And a lot of the depression I see, Cynthia, is from hyper high stress levels that we ignore. And so what are the things that we have to do is number one, we got to calm down that brain. So it doesn't matter what age you are. I'm going to look at, so I love my devices. I use PMF. I use neurofeedback. I use biofeedback. Everybody's got to move to an anti-inflammatory diet. Now, anti-inflammatory diet is the number one diet shown to reduce mental health and there's a lot of anti-inflammatory diets, right? There's keto, there's intermittent fasting, there's Mediterranean. So I got to work with people where they're at. You know, it's easier out of all the things I do, the dietary change is the hardest thing. I can convert a Catholic to Judaism easier because <laughs> they just come in and say, I'm not changing my diet, right? So I'm soft and I get people to do buckets of change. Like, what are you willing to do? Are you willing to do a swap out? And then we just move through it. People are so stress activated, but, and then it's, what is the supplements? What does the brain need? And what does the clinical research say about each of these conditions? What is most helpful. So for me, whenever I have somebody with panic attacks, very high levels of anxiety and OCD, my inositol is mandatory. And we, what I like to do is I like for them to use it twice a day. And what we know from clinical research, right? There's some research studies, you know, in, in as little as six to eight weeks, people can show some pretty significant changes. I have found that Probably with OCD, and I do a lot of OCD with people with PANS and PANDAS. So there's an infection or toxin that's causing all this 
brain inflammation. It causes a misdirected immune response and the body attacks itself and it creates a lot of inflammation. So many of my people with OCD have PANS and PANDAS. So I got to say that. But what I have anecdotally have found with my clinical population, and please know I've worked with thousands of people. Like I've been around a long time. This is year 31, year 31 for me. So what I have found is about one third of people have a pretty dramatic symptom reduction within a short amount of time, even just a couple of weeks. About one third of people show some significant symptom improvement over the first two to three months of me working with them. And about one third don't either they're not reporting it or they're not connecting or they're not actually experiencing symptom change. I still believe it becomes part of the protocol and I don't have people remove it. I know that it doing its work. What I'm looking for is overall symptom. But some of my people in that dramatic component are like, wow, if I don't take it that day, I notice something. So it's easy to make the connection. But a lot of times when you're so stressed, you're not always able to make the connection. And the people around you look for those differences in intensity, frequency, and duration of symptoms. But it really is very clear that diet, lifestyle changes, nutrient replacement, and really purposely trying to regulate your brain is essential for mental health. And that is really the foundation of my program. It's really amazing. And I always love connecting with you and learning from you. And for the benefit of listeners, helping people understand that we have the autonomic nervous system. And so we have the parasympathetic and sympathetic, and we want balance. Our body is always looking for balance. And what Dr. Rowe was speaking to is that when our brain is inflamed and we're having these mood issues, it is a direct reflection in many circumstances of our brains being stuck in the sympathetic, you know, we're being chased by a rabid animal, we're fleeing from danger. And one of the things that can happen, and we've seen so much of this during the last three years, especially with the pandemic happening, the people were so frightened, their cortisol was so high that their amygdala, which is their very primitive lizard type brain is overriding our thinking executive functioning part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex. And so this is when I will hear people saying things like, I'm so stressed, I can't think straight. And that's actually a physiologic thing that happens. And it's so important to understand this because, you know, you think about um, the pandemic or you get bad news or you know, there's a catastrophic accident, something happens and and it's happened to me in my lifetime. There've been specific times that I can recall exactly where I was when it happened. And just like, sometimes you'll see animals that will just freeze. You don't even know what to do next because you're not able to access that part of your brain that allows you to think like, what's the next thing to do. And so this is when you'll see people in many instances being very you know, they can sometimes be belligerent. They can be difficult to speak to. They can, you know, have trouble, you know, making logical sense of what's going on around them. And it's a direct reflection of the fact that your body perceives you're under this persistent state of very high level stress and cortisol is not a bad hormone. It gets a bad rap, but when our brain is flooded with cortisol, there's a lot of things that can break down in response to our bodies thinking we're under this, you know, stress and duress and in an acute situation, that's very normal, but chronically over time, it can really deplete the body. And I know that for many of us, we really focus in on, you know, we call it somaticizing, but you know, someone has pain somewhere, someone has an infection, but equally important is what's going on in the brain. And and so this is why your work is so important. And this is why I think on so many levels, when I kind of stumbled upon the research about the impact of myo-inositol in the brain, I found it so interesting because it works on communication between these neurotransmitters, you know, things like dopamine and acetylcholine and GABA, which is this calming inhibitory neurotransmitter and serotonin, as you kind of talked about, it also helps with brain signaling. So if you're someone that is struggling to make decisions and, you know, that executive functioning in the brain isn't really optimized in conjunction with other types of modalities that Dr. Rowe has talked about, myo-inositol in particular can be very helpful And let me just back up and say, for anyone that's listening, if you are taking medications for depression, anxiety, OCD, you have an eating disorder, 
et cetera, do not stop any medications. Absolutely not. Yeah. We're yeah. not, we're not advocating that. I want to be the responsible clinician and make sure we put that disclaimer in there, but have a conversation because there's really very good research. You know, I have a family member right now that's dealing with obsessive compulsive disorder and this individual's in therapy, you know, we're in therapy talking about it to be able to support this individual. And one of the things that I stumbled upon with my research was how beneficial myoinositol can mm-hmm. be and how I've watched this individual's behaviors improve less obsessive, intrusive thoughts, able to kind of go about their day. Of course, I'm not going to disclose who this individual is because I don't have their permission to do so. But what was interesting is when I was getting ready for our conversation today, the Journal of Clinical Psychopharmacology talked about a significant reduction with use of myonositol for six weeks in patients. There was another journal of psychiatric research that talked about the add-on treatment for OCD. So again, this is not a solo treatment. This is That's right. To other therapies, again, improvement in symptoms. And I think this is so encouraging because I think for so many of us, we're looking to be able to improve our quality of life. We're looking to be able to improve metrics related to quality of life. And I love knowing that there are things that are safe on the market that can be used in conjunction with other modalities that can be so helpful and beneficial. Well, and you know, you mentioned about the brain communication. So like, I love to talk about brain communication, (laughs) but you know, the research, so a lot of people who the research has shown that with myonositol, when the improvement in cognitive function for people that are depressed, which I love to see, because one of the biggest complaints I get when somebody is depressed is truly not just that they can't think that it's shut down. And I think it's so important to talk about being shut down because We talked about, as you so beautifully talked about the autonomic nervous system, but we often think of an event that creates this and you alluded to it's the daily, right? So why does somebody go into fight, flight or freeze? So one of the biggest things I've actually seen in the pandemic is school refusal. So I've always had school refusal cases, but it's sort of the ultimate freeze, like I, my body is so shut down and this happens to adults too. And, you know, when you're in fight, flight or freeze and it, and it doesn't have to be one event, it could be multiple. And when you see this in a brain, it is exactly what you, what you said. And when I do a QEG, you see an overactivated limbic system. That's where the omegalda is. And then that's where your cortisol starts. So, you know, you you get a cortisol rush. Ooh, somebody almost ran over me. Okay, I'm, I'm okay. But this cortisol rush is happening for these people that are in fight, flight, or freeze. Your, your frontal lobes are supposed to put your brakes on. When I see a brain map, it's worn out. And there's actually a third area. The occipital region is supposed to flood your brain when both of those systems are offline. And what I'm seeing is that it's worn out. And all three of these protective mechanisms in the brain that work together are not working. And guess what? You know, your psych meds aren't going to help you. (laughs) You have to rebuild. And so things like myonositol, which is safe, right? You always want to check with your prescribing physician, but this is, there's not known interactions, right? So you always want to get that okay. But, you know, you can add this in along with magnesium's my fave supplement, but in the whole world, everybody should be taking it. And then look at what other things you can do for nutrition. For me, when anybody is this activated, you know, protein and healthy fats become the number one priority. And most people are willing to do that part, Cynthia. They may not be willing to give up certain things, but they're willing to get in and add in clean forms of protein. And everybody likes some extra yummy, healthy fats. So, and that supports neurotransmitter. You have to look at the synergy and then you can start taking actions because once we get the fire down, a little bit, we take you out of fight, flight, or freeze, you're actually going to be able to think and take action better and you got to do it, right? So what can you do to implement to make those changes? This is a great starting point for a lot of people. It's one of my favorite supplements. And it's also, you know, a supplement that most people aren't talking about, which is so exciting that you um, are recommending this because I don't have a preferred brand. I don't have things because it's not common. People just aren't using it. And it doesn't mean it's not good. It's just that 
we tend to go to the same things, right? So yes, I love magnesium. A lot of people are magnesium. You might be on the wrong one, right? Or I'm taking a B vitamin. You might be on the wrong one. Taking a D, are you adding K, right? So there's all these little pieces to help your brain health. And this is like a key one for any of these clinical conditions. And it's safe to get started and really to see a difference, not just in your activation, but in your thinking, which is where people need wiggle room. Mighty Maca is a superfood drink mix full of 30 plus natural ingredients. And it was formulated by Dr. Anna Kabeca during her healing journey. Mighty Maca Plus ingredients, which include nourishing ingredients like organic maca powder, turmeric, quercetin, broccoli, parsley, trans resveratrol, pomegranate extract, and more, were carefully selected for immune support to sustain energy, provide mental clarity, and improve recovery. It also tastes delicious. It supports healthy detoxification and alkalinity in the body, balances hormones, fights free radicals, and neutralizes lactic acid, all while increasing your energy and vitality. It helps improve your digestion and reignites your libido. It's a powerful superfood drink mix that needs to be part of your daily routine. And Dr. Anna is offering my listeners 10% off your first purchase by using the link DrAnna.com slash Cynthia. That's 10% off your first per that's 10% off your first purchase by using the link DrAnna.com slash Cynthia. It's delicious and nutritious. Today's podcast is sponsored by NutriSense. It combines cutting edge technology and human expertise so you can see how your body responds to different types of nutrition, stress exercise, sleep, and where you are in your menstrual cycle in real time. And by pairing a continuous glucose monitor with their app and expert nutritional guidance, NutriSense can help you reach your health goals. And the best part is it's not just a program where they send you the CGM and you have to figure it out on your own. Each subscription plan includes one month of free expert nutritionist support. Your nutritionist will work with you one-on-one interpreting your data and providing customized advice to help you reach your health goals. The last time I had my CGM on, my registered dietitian and I troubleshooted over some specific concerns that I had. And whether you're aiming to lose weight, stabilize your energy, or just feel better overall, NutriSense offers the guidance and support you need. And lasting sustainable change takes time and can be achieved through a longer term subscription. That's why I encourage my patients and clients to consider three, six, or 12-month subscriptions where it's actually less expensive and allows you to not only achieve your goals, but also to ensure that you stick to your healthy lifestyle for the long term. As I've mentioned before, I have found the CGMs I've used through NutriSense to be incredibly insightful, specifically to carbohydrate tolerance. I would not have known that plantains spiked my blood sugar without this information. It's also been hugely helpful for tailoring to workouts and sleep quality. And so for me, even though I am metabolically healthy, I find the insights to be particularly helpful to tailor my lifestyle changes to my blood sugar. Visit NutriSense.io slash EWP and use the code EWP for $30 off plus one month of free nutritionist support. Be sure to let them know you're a listener of the Everyday Wellness Podcast when they ask you how you heard about them. This is one of my favorite ways to take care of my health and one of my top recommendations for all of my patients and clients. Absolutely. And, you know, it's really interesting over the past, you know, four years of being your friend, I've learned so much about thinking outside the box about mental health and doing it in a way that honors our research backed kind of training, but also allows us to think beyond kind of the conventional modalities as being, this is the only way to treat anxiety, depression, OCD. Now you mentioned a little earlier before we started recording that there's some potential therapeutic benefit for people with eating disorders and specific to this women with metabolic syndrome and binge eating disorders, which I thought was really interesting. And specifically to this, how many women in perimenopause and menopause will say to me, I started intermittent fasting. And then as soon as I broke my fast, I ate like two days worth of food. And so having that propensity that, you know, understanding what's going on in the brain, first of all, with binge eating, but knowing that myoinositol can also be beneficial based on research, again, can be very beneficial for this and how that can impact 
the way that we view binge eating disorders. I, I always think about eating disorders as, you know, there's anorexia, there's bulimia, and then there's binge eating. And sometimes people have a mix of both. They could have sure. just one in of itself, but have you been using this with some of your patients that kind of fall into those buckets as well? Yeah. And I, you know, eating disorders can creep up at different times for different reasons. And, you know, they do are much more prevalent in women, but they do exist in men. And, you know, sometimes we don't think of binge eating, which is so common for as a stress response, right? Can it could start out as you're in emotional eating and then it really becomes an eating disorder when that's your way of coping, right? I also see Cynthia with eating disorders that are binge related, a lot of hormone issues. So women that are in our hormone age range, right? They may not have had any history of this and be stuck in a cycle. So you always want to look at what other things, what's the root cause, right? So is there a hormone relation? Is this emotional, right? I am actually not an emotional eater at all. Like when I get upset, I don't, I don't eat. And my mom passed away not too long ago. And I actually found myself So we were very connected through food, right? Like Italian, my mother's like the classic showed her love through food. And I found myself cooking a lot for my family and eating. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I've never done that. And you have to like sit back and look and then say like, is that really the best choice? And then alter your behavior, right? So, you know, it's always an evolutionary process. And I think for some people, this can really be an add-on. I also see a big, for me and my clinical population, I have a lot of OCD eating disorder links. So I have a lot of people that develop intrusive thoughts around food, and sometimes it's contamination worries. And then they develop a secondary eating disorder, which then becomes a primary problem because, if you're really losing a lot of weight and you're not getting in nutrients, your brain is just not going to work as well as it's a very high risk cardiac problem when you get below a certain weight. So there's a lot of reasons why people have mental health disorders. And, but when we really start to get into the weeds of how can we create change, right? So, you know, this isn't going to have hundred percent recovery, but like, I like to say to all my peeps, well, this might give me 5% or 10% or 15%. Then we do this and this gives me 3% and this gives me that. And the next thing you know, we have 50% symptom reduction, right? And you've had no symptom reduction. You have to start reframing and looking at what do I have control over? And you have control over a lot. And these conversations are incredibly powerful because nobody's talking about this stuff, right? And I'm so grateful that, all the mostly women, but the individuals that are listening, because you are, most women are the CEOs of all family mental and physical health. So this can really get very far and support, not just you, but even your children as well. Yeah. And I I think that you know, kind of the traditional modalities. I know when I lived in Washington, DC, almost always there were a couple of Facebook groups that I was in and women were looking for therapists, psychologists, psychiatrists for their children, for their teens, for their young adults, and how challenging it was. And so I'm wondering if, and I don't know the statistics offhand, this just kind of occurred to me. Do you think that kind of the traditional modalities, I know when I was an ER nurse, unless you were verbally expressing that you wanted to harm yourself or Mm -hmm. someone else, you couldn't get hospitalized. Mm-mm. And so I think the current medical model in many ways, until you are an extreme, there aren't a lot of options. People wait weeks, months, very long periods of time to get in with professionals. Do you think it's a reflection of our current medical model? Do you think it's that people are are working with less patients? What do you think is kind of exacerbating those circumstances? Really? Yeah, I think there's multiple things going on as I've been doing this for three decades. So one, it's the medical model influencing. So people think there really are only two options for mental health. They think it's a pill and the pill is a quick fix. And because that's what's prevented, presented to them, but they believe it as well, right? And then two, there really is a dramatic increase. Like it's unbelievable, the increase. And also, I also see every day that 
people don't recognize the signs, the physical signs that either they themselves or their own child. Right. So like, even with myself, I knew I was grieving and I was like, you know, I think I was like, I did pretty well, you know? And then, you know, guess what? Your body keeps the score and your body will let you know, like, this is how you're acting. And really when I looked back, I was tired, you know, those are those kind of things. So we don't always see the signs because people with mental health overall, I would say the vast majority of people are functional, right? They're just not functioning well and they're not happy. And people sort of, it's creeps up on you. It's not an overnight thing. And you sort of learn to accommodate and, you know, be functional. And then until you're not, until your body says, hmm. You've been in fight, flight, or freeze way too much. I'm just going to shut you down, you know, and it happens. And these psychiatric admissions in hospitals, by the way, in the pandemic just went on fire. Certain states declared a state of emergency, mental health. I mean, I knew people, most of my people never go to a psychiatric hospital. I mean, while they're working with me, because I have a lot of tools that are evidence-based, but I knew people that went before me and there was one incident, more than one, I should say, where they were in the hallway in a bed and many places you can't even get in. So it's multifaceted. We believe there's a quick fix when there's not. And we're not actually looking to research to what actually calms the brain. And by using these tools like myonositol, PMF, magnesium, walking, gratitude journals, prayer, you know, meditation, these things work and they're really, really powerful. But ultimately in the end, you must pair it with actual behavioral change. And a therapist can help you with that. But a lot of times there are many more things that we can do on our own and it's a culmination. There's no quick fix is ultimately in the end. But instead of feeling overwhelmed by that, I say, I've already said this, you need to be empowered by that. You have lots of ways to make your brain, whether it's your own or your child, be more regulated, be calmer, you know? I think that's so important. And and one thing that I think listeners have, you know, through I've been discovering the role of trauma and how that played a role in my life and the way that I view the world and, you know, interacting with people like um, Dr. Gabor Mate, which for me was one of those podcasts. I don't know if listeners have, have listened to it was probably the most personal podcast I've ever done, um, not just on everyday wellness, but anywhere, just kind of sharing things about my background. But I wonder for listeners that are listening to this, when we talk about the role of trauma and Mm -hmm. we talk about these modalities, understanding that what happens to us as children, we may think, you know, little T trauma, I got teased, I got bullied. You know, the boy down the street made fun of my teeth or made fun of my hair or, you know, I, you know, girl bullying or whatever's going on. You got, you know, emotional abuse, mental abuse, physical abuse. These things can crop up later and can be the impetus for a lot of these mood disorders that we are discussing today. And so I think it's, it's helpful to kind of make that connection because for many people, that's kind of a new connection to understand what's really at the basis for the anxiety, depression, potentially the OCD, the eating disorder could really be these unresolved traumas that we grew up in. And so I'd love to kind of end the conversation talking about that a little bit from a perspective that gives people options and and really a reframe to understand that there's no one out there that doesn't have some degree of trauma, right? Absolutely. Trauma is just a wound. You know, that's how Gabor Mate kind of describes it. Each one of us have experienced these things. It just is important or the distinction should be made that that can contribute to why people ultimately go on to develop some of these mood related issues. Yeah, for sure. And you said it right. Who hasn't had a traumatic event, right? It's just understanding its impact to the nervous system, right? So we can't ignore something that happened. And, you know, a lot of people have big traumas. I mean, I always talk about my dad's trauma. My dad and I are like a lot alike, right? And he's really fun. And I always say when I go out locally, nobody knows me as Dr. Roseanne. I'm only Tony's daughter. And they're like, oh, I love your dad. It's usually some some (laughs) Italian. doesn't matter where I am, the bank, anybody. I'm only Tony's daughter. And he's very beloved. But, you know, he had a horrible, horrible traumatic 
childhood and I should make a lifetime movie out of it. And I love to write and it's really an unbelievable story. But ultimately, his father was prisoner of war for the first eight years of his life. And his mother beat the crap out of him in his sleep when he did normal stuff. He is the most happy man. And he has like unconditional acceptance and love for his mother. And when stuff comes up, we can have a conversation about it. But, you know, we, that's a clear cut case of trauma. But, you know, your child, one of my most traumatic events was my son getting his tonsils and adenoids out. It was a horrible, horrible experience. And really we knew something was wrong with him and it turned out it was Lyme disease and it just opened up into this world of pans and it was a nightmare and it was bad. It was bad on a lot of levels, but nobody might not think that they're like, well, you weren't beaten, you were clothed, you know, you, you were clothed and fed and all that doesn't matter. If something is an unresolved issue in your nervous system, it's going to show up. And what's interesting that I noticed, Cynthia, about menopausal and perimenopausal women is that, you know, especially when you're high level and you've been functioning and the hormones go down, some of these traumas, some of these injuries, actual physical injuries to the brain, you aren't able to keep it together in the same way. And things flood your nervous system and you may have an activation as well as some of the developmental milestones of your children may be bringing up some of these traumatic experiences. So we can't ignore it. Sometimes people will say to me, well, I, I have to just let it run in the back of my head. No, you don't. You don't have to let it run in your back of your head. I help people all the time. I was one of nine approved providers at Sandy Hook. I've done a lot of work with 9-11 survivors and had the privilege of supporting a lot of other people with big T's too and little T's over the years. And I think that acknowledging it is the first step. But if you start to really see how this plays into your day-to-day, are you, is this where your negativity bias comes from? Is this how you speak to your child? Does this create fears that hold you back? Well, these are all things that can be explored, certainly in psychotherapy. And you've got to regulate the nervous system and then find a way to healthily put away your trauma in its closet, whether that's EFT tapping, somatic work, EMDR. There are lots of types of very trauma-specific therapy that really can help you to process it without reliving it. And many people with trauma get stuck in a reliving kind of state and it doesn't have to be that way. So I hope that's helpful because I think trauma is so much more prevalent, big and little T's than we realize and what a disruptor it is to your nervous system. And if you're working with someone and you're not getting somewhere, that trauma may have more of an impact and you might have to do a deeper level of work. And I don't want people to be, you know, I recently worked with, oh God, she's the coolest lady, but she was had such a horrible trauma abuse background, massive physical abuse. She's very successful in her industry. She's one of top four people in the world in her job. Okay, I can't say what it is because it's an obscure job. And so she's been seeing her psychotherapist since 1998. Okay, 1998 people. So she comes here. And we do neurofeedback. And she's like, I didn't even know it was possible to not have trauma activation. And now we realize she has executive functioning challenges. So we're supporting her in her executive functioning, but she just doesn't have the activation anymore. And the activation was really disrupting on so many levels, moodiness, anxiety, um, as high level as she was at work they accepted her um, abrasiveness with others because she was gifted at what she did, but she had constant conflict with people. She chose not to have children. She chose, and for her and her path, she made a lot of choices because of a trauma that she couldn't get under control. Once she's been able to get that under control, her life is so dramatically different. So no matter what has happened, there's always a path. And I don't believe that somebody can't get better. As long as you want to believe in it and you make those changes, actionable small steps is really what creates these massive waves in our nervous system. Well, and it's interesting. Our mutual friend, Dr. Joan Rosenberg, always says, if you have the capacity to think, you have the capacity to change. 
Thank you for the amazing work that you do, my friend. Uh, thank you for carving time out of your busy schedule to come on the podcast, to be able to speak to all of these uh, tools and strategies that people can use to support better mental health. Well, thank you for being here. You know, I could talk to you all day. So, um, and you know, wherever people are in their journey, you know, you just have to take one small step. That's my biggest takeaway in all of this. And if that is starting with my inositol, then do it. It's, it's safe and it's worth a try. And you just have to be consistent with it. That is one of my biggest takeaways. Those small actions of consistency is really where you create mental wellness. Absolutely. Please let my listeners know how to connect with you, how to find your book, how to find your work and your new podcast. Yeah. So you can go to www.drrosean.com and you can go to forward slash podcast. And if you're a parent looking for more tools and support in all of my work, it's there, but my podcast is it's going to be okay. And we talk about all this stuff all the time. And it's uh, been a pleasure and a privilege to be able to share that information because man, people need a lifeline. They absolutely do. Thanks again. If you love this podcast episode, please leave a rating and review, subscribe and tell a friend. Just as you carefully choose the cut of meat or freshness of produce that you cook at home, you should carefully choose chemical-free cookware that provides a healthy and safe cooking experience. The materials in 360 cookware are safe, sustainable, and of the highest quality. Their cookware is 100% free from any toxic chemicals as the company produces quality stainless steel cookware and bakeware without added chemicals, and all are manufactured in the United States. It's also the leading manufacturer that equips kitchens with cookware and bakeware that are free of all of the toxic chemicals and coatings, including PFAS, Teflon, and ceramic. And the best thing is that when used properly, the product's construction provides nonstick properties in a product that can be passed down through generations. Go to www.360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. Again, that's 360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. We've been using their products over the last several months and have really been pleased with not only the durability, but ease of cleanliness.